0: Hey everyone, I am Reva, and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk, and it encourages you, and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. All right. Do we have any happy people still in here? Maybe the question is, do we have any awake people in here? All right. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Uh, we, like Shana and Candace, said, we had an eventful four o'clock gathering and got up here to talk. The skies went dark and it rained and wind like biblical proportions. <laughs> and trees fell down. I think eight cars were smashed. And so apparently the four o'clock is where it's at, apparently. So no, I'm kidding. Um, Didn't even really, we lost power and it was just an eventful, eventful gathering. And we did a very condensed version of what we're going to talk about now. And so I'm really excited about tonight. And uh, is there anybody here that's ready to grow, to learn, and to go deeper in what God has for them? I don't know why else you come besides the social context, which is a beautiful part of it. But I hope you come every week with the idea, I want to grow in my relationship with God. Yes. And if, if you're not sure about God, I hope this exposes you to parts of God that you didn't know existed. And so I hope that's why you come. That's why I come. And I love, I love what God does in these spaces. I love what he does in individual spaces. And I love what he does in smaller spaces. And so this space is, uh, is a fun one because we get together. And I, use, I usually use this time to share stuff that's obviously deeply important to me, but also to kind of chart the course for us as a community. Candace will come up as well, and different ones of us will share things that are from our heart. And tonight, specifically, is a, is a topic that we're going to talk about tonight. Most, for sure next week, and maybe the following week, we'll see what we can cover these first two weeks. And we'll kind of go from there. I want to start off by reading to you a statistic. It's a survey from the Cultural Resource Center, Research Center, led by George Barna. If you're unfamiliar with George Barna, he's like the leading statistician when it comes to statistics about Christian and faith in American culture. And in September of 2021, a survey proved or said that 58% of Christians in America. Contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. 58% believe that the Holy Spirit is just a symbolic thing to represent God and that it's not a real living being in person. And so tonight we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want to take a moment before we get into the talk tonight. I want to take a moment and address potentially different kinds of people in this room. One thing about studio that I I deeply love is we've got a vast array of people from all different walks of life. We have some of you that are from very, very heavily churched environments. Some of you are from environments where you've never been to church before. And some of you come from backgrounds where you have very interesting and painful situations when it came to church. I understand all of that. So I want to take a moment just to kind of walk everyone through this before we get into the topic. If there's anyone here tonight, and you're here, and you don't have faith in God, you're not even sure what to make of the Christian faith, I I want you to not listen with your mind tonight. If you'll just do me a favor, listen with your soul. Your soul is thirsty. Your soul is that one part of you that does not want to be an empty space within you. And when your soul is empty, you, you spend your life trying to find things to satisfy it, to fill it, to occupy it. And that could be a myriad of whatever life has to offer. But tonight, I want you to not listen with your mind. I want you to listen with your soul. And then there are other people in this room that potentially this whole idea of the Holy Spirit is a very new topic. Maybe you just recently became into an awareness of like, oh, what's the Holy Spirit? But you're not familiar with it. You don't know what to do with it. I want to ask tonight that this would be an invitation to step farther into who the Holy Spirit is, not just from Eric's experience, but it would become your personal experience. Now, others of you, you have an interesting background with the Holy Spirit. You're not sure where to put it. You've seen it. Maybe you've even experienced the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe you've even been in an environment where you saw a lot of people that their entire life revolved around the activities and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but you're not sure where to put it. Again, I want to invite you to come deeper. And I know there's people in this room that are all about the Holy Spirit. That's all they talk about. That's all they think about. That's all they dream about. You have five t-shirts hanging in your closet at home about the Holy Spirit, and you've got books on your devotion, devotional tables. I mean, you are you are so aware of the Holy Spirit. You have a lifestyle that is shaped around the idea of the person and of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So no matter where you find yourself on this conversation, my hope is that tonight, as I was getting ready for this, I got this image that a train, we got all these different cars. And each car represents where you're at in your own journey of being a human, wrestling with faith in God and life and all these things that your car, that we'd be able to link up cars tonight. And this train can begin to move forward together as a community. So if this is your home, I want to invite you to, to step into a space where we're going to go on a journey as a community, as people of the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight is not a preach, it's not a teach, it's more of a study. So I'm going to ask you, if, if you are not a note taker, I do this every week, but tonight especially, if you're not a note taker by habit, then maybe tonight start that habit. If you're an artist or you like to draw or doodle, then draw and doodle while I'm talking. Others of you, get your phone out, your iPads out, whatever device you have, and write down things that stand out to you, because go, I'm going to go through a more of a study approach tonight, and just going to unpack and kind of do an introductory to the reality of the person and the being of the Holy Spirit. First of all, let's talk about who are we talking about. I mentioned the Holy Spirit, but when you look at Scripture, the Holy Spirit is predominantly only used in the New Testament. From the book of Matthew on to the end of the book. But when you look at the first roughly half of the book, you don't read about the Holy Spirit. You read about the Spirit of God. You also read about the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of wisdom. And there's all these different spirits. And in this context, it's not like God had 20 different spirits. He has one spirit that has many expressions. So when you read about the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, it's actually making reference to what we now call the Holy Spirit. God does not have two spirits. He has one spirit. So tonight and next week and the following week, when you hear us up front mention the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, we are essentially talking about the same part of God. Are you guys with me? So that's who we're talking about. There's a couple Bible verses that I want to read to you to give you context for the Spirit of God and specifically the Holy Spirit. In Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, it reads this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. There's many more verses that talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you're here tonight and you want to understand more of what does that actually mean, I thought God was God and what's up with the Son and the Holy Spirit. From a theological framework, the words that are commonly used to try to describe, and to be honest with you, it is still an incredible mystery of how this thing functions. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can study Trinity or the Triune God, and there are different sources out there. If you want to dive into that, I can point you in some direction, but just to give you an understanding that God is the same as the, Jesus even said this in his life. He said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." And people ask, "Well, show us where your father dad?" And he said, "No, no, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, too." So the representation of who God is can be found in His Son Jesus. And then we're going to talk about this a little bit later tonight about what Jesus did in the transition from him, his life on earth, to when the Holy Spirit came. Now, the verse that I want to kind of hinge tonight's talk and center it around is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's verse 16. This is the heart of tonight's study or tonight's talk. It says this Do you not know that you are a temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let me read that again. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Paul is addressing saints or believers, as we will call them, and said, do you not understand when you say yes to God, you have now become a temple, a place for God to dwell and reside in. Tonight, that is what is driving the study or the talk tonight is the reality that God wants to dwell in you. It is the, the desire to dwell in you, and your body represents a temple. So, as we move forward, I've curated a few stories from scripture. This is not meant to be exhaustive, this is not meant to be complete, this is meant to be some, simply introductory to give you an idea of what to expect when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, for biblical context, the Holy Spirit didn't really show up for all until the book of Acts. and We're going to get there tonight. But prior to the book of Acts, we get these little movie trailers, if you will, of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. We get these moments, and you read the Old Testament. You read from Genesis, Exodus, and you read all the way to the end of the Old Testament. And even in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all these books, these 40-ish books of the Bible, you see these moments where the Spirit of God shows up. And I want to do a brief breeze through to some of the main stories. Again, it's not exhaustive. This is not meant to create a complete theological perspective on the Holy Spirit. It's meant to give insight And this is my my conviction. What you see in the Old Testament in moments with different individuals is meant to be a lifestyle for anyone that says yes to Jesus after the cross. So what you see take place throughout the Old Testament, where God will use Gideon, he would use Samson, he would use Abraham, he would use Deborah, all these different individuals, how God showed up in all these situations, those were teasers, if you will, of what was meant to be normal, what was meant to be normative in your life. The first one I want to read to you tonight is found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So right before God began to say, let there be light, before creation exploded, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What I want you to grab from this, why is that important? Because I want you to understand the Spirit of God had been active in the life of everything in existence from the beginning. This is something that was built into how God constructed everything in existence, that the Spirit of God would be right there in the middle of it. And he hovered over the waters. A beautiful passage, which tonight we don't have time to go into. Now I want to ask the question, have you ever wondered who was the first person in all of humanity, at least in the Bible, who was actually filled with the Spirit of God? Well, if you've never asked it, I asked it for you. And it can be found in the book of Exodus, chapter 35, verses 30 through 31. And before we jump into this passage, I want to give a little bit of backdrop because it's hard to breeze over these major stories and moments without giving a little bit of context. But this is when the nation of Israel had been set free from Egypt. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Israel and Egypt, go watch the famous animation titled Prince of Egypt. Anybody ever seen that? Okay, please interact with me. Just give me the nods or something. Because <laughs> if, you, if you've never seen it, then my God, i got to tell you all about it. So you have this moment where the nation of Israel had left Egypt, and they're on the way to what is famously called the promised land. How many feel like life sometimes is like, I want to get to that promised land? We get that phrase from this story. And in this moment, you have the nation of Israel moving toward their promise, and we learn that what was meant to be a couple-week journey ended up being 40 years, because we learned that it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. But in the middle of this, God begins to change the narrative of his role and activity in humanity. And Moses, the leader of this exit, this Exodus of the nation of Israel, Moses is going up to this place called the Mountain of God. And all these very obscure, peculiar passages of Scripture talk about Moses would go up to the mountain, and the people that held back in the camp would say, it's lightning, it's darkness, it's thunder on the mountain, and Moses is walking straight into it. A man of courage, and a man that had incredible curiosity, and a man that could hear the calling of God. So Moses would go to these mountains, and it's recorded that he would go up for days at a time. He would go up for weeks at a time. And he would spend all this time up on the mountain. And we have to ask the question what was he doing? I mean, was he just laying there, soaking and resting? I'm sure he was doing all of the above, but we often overlook the reality that God is actually shaping and forming a new dimension of who he is to how he relates to humans. He essentially, in a very brief way, said, I want to live among you. I don't want to just be stuck to this mountain, and I don't want to be stuck in the cosmos. I actually want to be amongst you. And so God began to tell Moses to build me a tent, what's called the tabernacle. Build me this tent, this place. And Moses was like, okay, I'll I'll build that place, but I don't know how to do it. And this is where we read up on the story. And God tells Moses, go find me this man. And let's read in Genesis. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 and through 31. Then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel. Say that with me, Bezalel. 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 Son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills. This is the first occurrence in all of Scripture where someone is filled with the Spirit of God. Not just the Spirit of God coming into a spade, but someone is actually filled with the Spirit of God. And what was the result of that? This person named Bezalel, he was skilled with his hand. But when the Spirit of God lived in him, it took his skill level to another dimension. And he was able to build something that was not able to be built without the Spirit of God. What I want you to get from these stories is this is meant to be your normal this is meant to be a reality that you step into and experience. This isn't meant to just be a great story that happened thousands upon thousands of years ago. These are trailers, these are hints of what's meant to be normal in your life. That when the Spirit of God's in you, your skills go to another dimension in anything you put your hands to. And I love the fact that the first person in the Scripture was a craftsman, was an artisan that was filled with the Spirit of God. I don't know for me, I don't know, that just makes me really happy. I mean, it would have been cool if it was Moses or Adam and Eve. I mean, it would have been cool, but I'm just glad it was this guy that no one knows about. God said, There's my guy. And Bezalel, he takes the task on to build this beautiful tabernacle, which you can read from Exodus 35 to roughly the end of chapter 39. It's a beautiful, elaborate description of what it took to actually build this tabernacle. Now I want you to go with me to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a, it's a pretty intense book. It, most people don't read it because it's, it's very depressing. It's, it's got a lot of darkness and evil. It shows you the ramifications of what happens when you allow sin to take root in your life and what it can happen on a widespread level. And most people are like, eh, I'm going to skip Judges. That's a little intense. But there are nuggets of beautiful moments in these stories. And in one particular case, there's a man named Gideon who was the most obscure person in his family who was incredibly obscure that came from the smallest and some say the weakest tribe of Israel. And God's looking for someone because there's a threat of an enemy army coming. And God is looking for someone to raise up to fight against this army. So he picked the least of them all, a man named Gideon. Gideon was so insecure of himself. If you read the whole story, Gideon had an incredible issue with self-confidence and assurance. He is timid. He is shy. He thinks small. It's all the things that are not working to be a general of an army to defeat the enemy. And God said, I'm going to use this guy. It's just like God to do that. And there's this moment where Gideon and God begin to work out a situation and said, Gideon does a couple tests on God. God, if this is really you, do this. If this is really you, do this. And eventually Gideon is convinced. And the army, the description of the enemy army was this. As many sand as on the seashore. The point is this. The army that was coming was innumerable. So what do you do when you have innumerable army coming? You create a big army. You meet force with equal force. And Gideon does it to the best of his ability. And God meets with him and says, hey, it's too many people. Instead of God saying, you don't have enough, he says, you have too many. And Gideon's like, okay. And God dwindled it down to, I believe, 10,000, if I remember my numbers correctly. And God said, it's still too many. And eventually, Gideon ends up with only 300 guys against an army that is innumerable. And this is where we pick up the story in Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites behind him. Uh, The part I want you to pay attention to is this. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Let's stop right there. The original language described this moment That's God put Gideon on like a glove. The idea is this, that God said, I'm going to put Gideon on like a glove. So the idea is that God completely occupied every aspect of who Gideon is. He filled him to his entirety. And when he blew that trumpet, the armies gathered behind him to fight against the enemy. What's my point? What I want what I want you to take away from this instance in the Old Testament is that God fills you and it enabled you to do what's humanly impossible. It enabled you to do things that only happened as a result of the Holy Spirit living in your life. Thank you. The next one we're going to read is found in 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 10. This one is about King Solomon, who was the son of King David. And Solomon was considered the wisest man of all. The book of Proverbs was mostly written by his sayings. The book of Ecclesiastes was mostly written by his sayings. The both books are very different. Proverbs is when Solomon was in great union with God. Ecclesiastes, he's in incredible life crisis, and everything is vain, and he's not in a great relationship with God. And I love both of those books because it shows the spectrum of human experience in our walk with God sometimes. But Solomon in this moment, he, it was on his father's heart, David, to build this temple for God to live. And David wasn't able to do it in his lifetime, so Solomon said, I'll do it. And long story short, Solomon built this most exquisite, elaborate. I did the math on how much they say this building cost, and it was in the millions of dollars per square feet to build this building. You can build a pretty decent house for a couple hundred dollars a square foot. So this was millions of dollars a square foot. Solomon built this elaborate temple. And in verse 10, listen to this. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of God, and the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple what I want you to get from this instance is this. Again, God filling a space, but the presence of God was so thick that no one could do what they were supposed to do. Some of you are familiar, and maybe you're not. I don't know everyone's story in this room, but you hear stories where God shows up in a space and people are all on the ground, where you can't move, you can't do anything, and This is one of the instances in Scripture where God's presence isn't just an idea. It's just not, I feel power, I feel strength. It actually has weight to it. And this is one of the early moments where this expression of this dimension of the Holy Spirit takes place. Now I want you to go to the book of Ezekiel. I told you this was a study tonight. Are you guys alive with me? The book of Ezekiel chapter 11 I've learned that this passage actually gave the Apostle Paul an, an, his, part of his foundation and his view of the Holy Spirit and what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our life. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 says this, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And I will remove, remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. What I want you to take from this is that God's intention with his spirit in us is to make us new. Some of you are familiar with the phrase, a new creation, in the New Testament. And Paul took a lot of his theological cues from this reality of when prophet Ezekiel prophesied what God said. I want to put my spirit in people. I want to take their heart of stone and take it out and make them new again. What's beautiful about that? When we say yes to God and the Spirit enters our life, that is the, the indication is it that you become a new creation. And when you talk about water baptism, it is it is coupled with this reality of like when you go under the water, you bury your old self, and when you come out of the water, you are now a new creation. And so this passage is where a lot of some of that theological foundation was from. Is from this moment right here amongst others. Now I want to transition into the New Testament. That was just a few stories. There's so much more going on. But in the New Testament, if you want to turn your Bible or make a note of this to read later, but John chapter 14. Now if you have a red letter Bible, you're going to notice that most of the pages in John 14 15, and 16 are pretty much all red lettered. What does that mean? Jesus talks a lot. That's what it means. And John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is in his last days before he goes to the cross. And what's fascinating me is one of the main things that he talked about is the Holy Spirit. But let's read it from Jesus' perspective and his words of how he describes the Holy Spirit. So John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper. Jump to verse 17. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And then look at verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus begins to introduce more officially, if you will. He says... I pray that God would send someone in my place. He will be a helper. He will help you along the way. He will help you to see things. He's the spirit of truth. Let's keep reading. Look in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. So Jesus introduces us to another dimension of this, not just to help her, but he's going to remind you of anything that Jesus taught. Some of you have had this experience before where you're just doing your normal routine in the day, and all of a sudden you hear something in your soul or in your mind, and it's like, oh, that's something that Jesus said in Scripture, or that's something that God told me and I forgot. See, the Holy Spirit is making sure that you never lose sight of the words and the ways of Jesus. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to keep that in your mind tonight as we talk more and more about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is designed to not, to not just fill you up and have an amazing moment, experience, and encounter. It's all of that, plus it's actually to help you. It's actually help you remember the ways of Jesus. It's actually to do a whole bunch more than just an amazing experience. Now, if you want to jump with me to chapter 16, we're going to jump to verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment of sin. Let's stop right there. So Jesus makes this pretty bold statement. And who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He says, listen, I have to leave because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. Now, imagine being the disciples. Like for us, we're like, yes, I'm so glad Jesus left so the Holy Spirit could come. But for the disciples, this was the departure of someone that they've given their life to. And the idea of him not being there was not an idea they wanted to entertain. And Jesus said, listen, I have to go. Because if I don't go, the next phase of God's plan won't happen. And that's the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to convict you of righteousness and of judgment and the conviction of sin. And I know there's people in this room that you've done something that you regret. And who convicted you? The Holy Spirit. And some of you are not familiar with the Holy Spirit in an intimate way, but something brought conviction to your life. That's the Holy Spirit. And also the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. said, so this is what we should be doing. So the role of the Holy Spirit is dynamic. It's endless. It's infinite. So these are some of the words that Jesus uses. Now let's read one more thing. Let's go to verse 13 of the same chapter, chapter 16. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is actually designed to lead you into the truth of Jesus. It's actually designed to take you into the dimension of who God is. You can't get there by yourself. It's the Holy Spirit who leads you. So, The big takeaway I want you to understand is that Jesus is the one that he promised to send and is meant to lead you into your future. Okay, now we're going to go to the book of Acts. We're getting towards the halfway point. No, I'm kidding. We're past the halfway point. Go to Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts chapter 1 is important because Acts chapter 1 is actually right before an important, incredible moment in the story of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, Jesus had died, he had rose from the grave, and these are some of his words in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Let's stop right here. What was the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus and John said, the promise is coming. God has promised this. And so he says, but to wait for the promise of the Father, in which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Now, we have the advantage of looking at the whole story. Of from Genesis all the way to Revelation, these specific individuals known as the disciples and followers of Jesus had a very limited understanding of what the Spirit was and who the Holy Spirit was. But Jesus says this, go wait in Jerusalem. Just go wait. And you are going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Next week we're going to talk a little bit more about that specific idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So make sure you come back next week because we're going to unpack that from a, more of a theological foundation that I believe will be very helpful for many of us. Now go down to verse 8. So just a couple of verses later, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, is this the first time we get an idea that the Holy Spirit and power go together? No, because in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came, power came upon the individual. So now Jesus is making a declaration to all that say yes to Him. He's saying, "Listen, go away from me in Jerusalem, and you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit." And power will come upon you. There's this important thing to understand in the book of Acts. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. This will be the last scripture that we read tonight. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Let's stop right here. The word Pentecost in its original meaning meant it was a specific Jewish holiday. But because of what we're about to read, Pentecost is more associated with what we're about to read. It's when the Holy Spirit came. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That line is often overlooked. They were in one accord and in one place. What does one accord mean? One mind. They were unified on this idea that we are waiting for the Holy Spirit. We are waiting for this promise. There's power when we align ourselves with one mind in what God wants to do. When there's division, when there's multiple visions, or there are multiple minds at play, it's really hard for things to begin to catch. And I want to just make a highlight of that passage when we as a people... Set ourselves with one mind to pursue God. this beautiful thing can take place. In verse two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and to begin to speak in tongues with other tongues and the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're not going to unpack some of these phenomenons that took place here, but what I want to highlight is this. This was the moment that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and it was no longer for a moment or a task. It was meant to be normative as a lifestyle. This This is the line in the story of God of what it was like Pre-introduction of the Holy Spirit for all and then the introduction of the Holy Spirit for all. This is why Acts chapter 2 is viewed as one of the most important moments in our faith and our tradition of saying yes to God. It's this moment right here. Now, there's a slide. Don't show it yet, just yet, Reva. I want to give context for this slide. I put together this slide. This is not a theological framework. This is not an attempt to build a doctrine around it what this slide is to give an idea of the journey of the Holy Spirit. It's not meant to categorize you. It's meant to maybe help you understand where you might be at in your own journey with the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and put that slide up. The Holy Spirit plus you, it's God's intent. Now on the far left, you're going to see, it says no awareness, no understanding. I want to give space in studio for this. I want to give space to everyone in this room to understand there are people that potentially are in this room or in our lives or a part of studio that have no idea who the Holy Spirit is. Some of you might be deeply surprised by that. I talk to them often. The Holy Spirit is a foreign concept. There's no understanding, no idea, and I don't ever want studio to be a place that doesn't create a space for an invitation and a journey for people to move from that reality to a deeper reality. And the challenge that we have in our faith is this, especially when you begin to get filled with the Holy Spirit and power begins to happen in your life, I have seen a lot of people become superior in how they treat other believers. Christianity was never meant to make you better than everybody else. Our faith in God would actually enable us to serve humanity more than we could before. So in the same context with a community of people that are on their own unique journey of following God, I always want to create space for people that have no clue about different dimensions and parts of God. So there are people in our world... We always need to have grace and space and allow people to come along this journey and be invited into it. And then there are people that are aware of the Holy Spirit. They're like, oh yeah, I've read about the Holy Spirit. Eric's talking about it a lot tonight. He said Holy Spirit probably 99 times so far. <laughs> Some of you are counting, I'm sure. I'm, I always find it funny when people said, you said that 13 times. I said, Are you seriously counting? So please don't count how many times I say it. But there are people that are aware, but they have no personal experience with the Holy Spirit. They've heard about it. They couldn't tell you. Yeah, I read about it in the Bible. I understand it in my head, but I actually don't know what what to do with that. And so I just continue on. I know there are people in the room, you come from church background, where there's a lot of emphasis on the Father and Jesus, but there's no emphasis on the Holy Spirit. I understand that. And again, in the same context, I want to make space for people wherever they are at in their own journey. But I want to use the upper room, which we read in Acts 2, where they waited in Jerusalem. They actually went to the room that was called the upper room. Right now, that upper room is now a metaphor. Does it mean you have to go to some room that's on the upper floor of a building? Not necessarily. It could be you going to the other side of the room, it could be you going home tonight and just waiting. The point is this, that you're going into a posture of waiting for God to come. You might ask me, how long do I wait? I don't know. They waited days upon days upon days. You imagine the conversation? I wonder if that group was larger than 120 and it shrunk down to 120. And my dad has always joked, I don't want to be the guy to go to the grocery store when Acts 2 happens. <laughs> But what I want you to get tonight, I want the metaphor of the upper room to be this idea of a time and space and posture of waiting upon God. Just waiting. How long do I wait? When do I do it? I don't know. But they just knew, we gotta go wait. Jesus said wait, and so guess what? We get to wait. We get to wait. And so some of you are kind of like pre-upper room. You're like, Maybe it's time for me to go actually stir my hunger up for this thing that Jesus talked about, this great promise. So if you're here tonight and, and you, you're like, I don't know if I had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about it. I don't understand that. Maybe what you're supposed to go home tonight is that, you know what? This next season of my life, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to go do whatever. I'm going to rearrange my life and wait for God to show up. And maybe that's you tonight. Some of you are like, you're in an upper room right now. God is showing up in your life. You're experiencing dimensions of the Holy Spirit you've never experienced before. And then there are others of you, you're, you've had those moments. And we're going to talk more about, do you have one of those? Do you have multiple of those? How does this thing work? We're going to unpack that next week. But let's say you've had encounter or encounters with the Holy Spirit. And you've sent the dwelling, the The filling of the Holy Spirit. And now you're like in Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. Which if you haven't read those in a while, read those slow. And read it with what we talked about tonight. It's explosive. It's exciting. It's the best action movie you'll ever read. All of a sudden, because the Spirit of God came into a group of people, all of a sudden the early church exploded. Thousands of people were getting saved daily. People were being baptized left and right in the water and in the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders and miracles began to take place on a scale that had not, been, had not happened before. So some of us are in like this space like, I, oh my word, I did not know this was real. And now you're, just, you're seeing the explosive nature of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now others of you might, not that you go past that. I don't ever want to communicate that you move on from that. But I do want to communicate there is more to the Holy Spirit than just that. And for some of you, you you're, you're only there. You, you don't move into other dimensions of the Holy Spirit. Never let go of that passion to see people get saved, to see people encounter God because of the Holy Spirit in your life. Never lose that passion to see signs and wonders and miracles, but also understand there's more dimension to the Holy Spirit than just that. So without diminishing that, I want you to expand. Now some of you are in the later chapter of the book of Acts. You're in the spaces where Paul was interacting with the philosophers of the day. And because he was filled with the Spirit of God, he was able to dialogue and debate and to poke holes in every world philosophy that was thrown at him. You see, there are different aspects. In in 1 Corinthians, that said Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. I believe what the future of the church is, we are people that move in the power of God and the wisdom of God. Not just one or the other, but we move in power and in wisdom. In the book of Acts, you see the power of God demonstrated, and you also see the wisdom of God at play. And then as you study history and you see the Holy Spirit moving in and out of the human story throughout history. So tonight, I want to invite everyone in this room to go farther. No matter where you're at on this spectrum. My heart tonight is that this would be a place, a community of people that invite people into deeper dimensions of who God is. That's my dream. That's what I envision. And if you're in the no awareness or you're in the later book of Acts and beyond, I love it all. But let's remember, we are not all in the same place. Some people are in different places. So let's spend less time Touting our place in the Holy Spirit, and spend more time. by how do we move together as a community? And honestly, how do we how do we see humanity experience the beauty of God? There's one more slide. If you can put that up for me, these are where I want you to take as takeaways from tonight's talk. Tonight, these are takeaways that I want you to go home with. The first one, these are in no particular order. These are the things that I covered tonight. And again, we're going to cover more next week. The first one is to remember the Holy Spirit is a promise from God to all that believe in Him. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know that. Well, I just enlightened you. <laughs> Be aware that this is part of who God is, and he promised to give, it, give him to you, to give who he is and place him within you. The second one is to stir up the desire to have the Holy Spirit in your life. I said last gathering, if you want to be in control of everything in your life, do not pray that prayer. <laughs> third area, third thing, to help you, to comfort you, to teach you, to lead you, and to bring conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and more. And then the next one, it enables you to follow Jesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes to extreme lengths to say, Guys, it's impossible to follow Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. The only way to even attempt it is to follow law. And Paul said the only way to follow Jesus is by being enabled by the Holy Spirit. The next one, it empowers you to do what is humanly impossible. To do things that you cannot do, not in a life achievement sense, but in possible situations. You can look at cancer, and the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, is stronger than the cancer in front of you. It's recognizing the thing that you can do nothing about on every aspect of life. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than the one that's outside of you. The next one is, remember, you are a temple, and God wants to dwell in. He wants to dwell in you, not just outside of you. He wants to dwell within you. And last, but definitely not the least, the Holy Spirit in you helps you to experience God, not just intellectually, but actually experientially. And I don't know how people do this life without not just the knowledge of who God is, but the experience of who God is. One of the great tragedies that I went through a year ago with my mom passing, I do not know how to get through that without the comfort and the experiences that God did within me to walk through that season of incredible loss and grief and so my prayer that you'd understand God wants you to experience him, not just as a theory, not just as an idea, not just as something that's an option out there. He wants you to experience him. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.